You are now listening to Well-Fed Women, the show that's been radically changing the way women perceive health, fitness, and their bodies since 2015. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr. Submit your questions to wellfedwomen at gmail.com, and you can keep up with the show on Instagram at wellfedwomen. Hey, friends. Welcome to the Well-Fed Women podcast. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner and a certified personal trainer. This is episode number 369. And over the last many years, we have talked about hormones a lot. However, I am thrilled that you're here because this episode is going to set you up for success hormonally for the rest of your life. Figuring out the root cause of hormonal imbalances can be challenging as can treating conditions like PMS and PCOS and endometriosis, specifically when we're talking about how to treat it with a holistic approach. And it can be very overwhelming for women. In fact, I feel like in the last decade or so, there are more and more women dealing with hormonal chaos. And it can happen concurrently with adrenal and thyroid issues and gut dysfunction. So not only is it complicated, women are often told what they are experiencing is normal or just part of being a woman or there isn't anything you can do about it other than take some medication. And to add to all of that, Testing can be inaccurate, and it doesn't always show the whole picture. So if you have been caught up in any of this hormonal confusion, this episode is for you. Today, I'm going to be talking with Dr. Aviva Ram, MD, who many of you know is a world-renowned midwife and herbalist who also happens to be a Yale-trained MD and board-certified family physician. She has been a dream guest of mine for quite some time. So today I'm using this podcast interview with her as an opportunity to dive a little bit deeper into hormones, hormone imbalances, and of course, ask all of your community questions, which I'm very excited about. Before we dive in, uh, Blue Blocks is an incredible brand, one that I buy lots of things from, and they support this community and this podcast, which I am so grateful for. They make the best blue blocking computer glasses and sleep glasses. They make red and summer glow light bulbs, which I have all throughout my house. They also now have a line of anti-radiation earphones, a laptop mat, and harmonizing stickers. So yes, these are high-quality EMF blocking products that block up to 99% of EMFs or electromagnetic fields. So electromagnetic fields are invisible areas of energy, also known as radiation, that are produced by electricity, specifically power lines and Wi-Fi and electronic devices, your phone, your laptop. But here's the deal. While there's more research that needs to be done on the long-term effects of EMS, EMF exposure, a lot of people like myself find that they are very sensitive to EMFs in the home. For example, before we had kids uh, a while back, we were making our house really, really smart in quotations with, you know, the smart light bulbs and the smart appliances. But I was noticing that I was getting more and more headaches. And quite frankly, it peaked when I got my AirPods. And I didn't realize that those little AirPods, y'all have about the same amount of EMFs as a Wi-Fi router. 
So we stopped using all the Bluetooth devices. I gave up my AirPods because I started seeing a direct correlation with how much I was wearing them to my headaches and brain fog. And now we turn off our Wi-Fi at night. And for me, it's helped tremendously. And now I block EMFs as much as possible with air tubes. Um, I also have a Blue Blocks laptop mat, which always sits right under my computer. So I have tried so many different EMF products. I went everywhere looking for something. And it just nothing compares to the quality of Blue Blocks. I recommend everybody go and especially get the laptop mat. The air tubes are great, too. The harmonizing stickers can go anywhere. It really makes a difference. Blueblocks.com forward slash well-fed. You'll get 15% off all the new stuff, too. Again, blueblocks, so B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com forward slash well-fed to get 15% off. Our code is well-fed to get 15% off. So now let's bring on Aviva. Aviva Ram MD is a world-renowned midwife and herbalist who also happens to be a Yale-trained MD and board-certified family physician with specialties in integrative gynecology, obstetrics, and pediatrics. Her new book, Hormone Intelligence, an instant New York Times bestseller because, of course, it explores the impacts of the world we live in on women's hormones and health, invites women into a whole new conversation about our hormones, body, and health, and brings a new medicine for women that is at once holistic and natural while being grounded in the best science and medicine that is available. She's also the mother of four and a grandma to two. Her website is avivaram.com. I follow her on Instagram. I will link to that in the show notes. And she also has a podcast, Natural MD Radio. I will link to that. We're going to be talking about her book, Hormone Intelligence, today, but she has also written the book on the adrenal thyroid revolution, and she also has a book called Naturally Healthy Babies and Children. In other words, she does it all. Welcome, Dr. Aviva. Oh, thank you. I love these good, strong conversations. I'm delighted to be here with you. I know you have those. Yes. So you are doing so much for women and the industry that is, you know, women's health by leading with education and seeing our bodies and hormones through more of a holistic lens instead of seeing the things that we experience as confusing conditions that you just can't do anything about or that need to be controlled with prescriptions or medication or whatever. And in, and in recent years, it feels like to me, more and more women are struggling with hormonal imbalances and thyroid disease and adrenal dysfunction. I mean, the questions that we get on this podcast have just skyrocketed. Now, I don't know. I mean, you know, there could be a variety of reasons why that is. But in your opinion, is this the result of better testing and better education? Or has there really been this increase in the last, I I don't know, decade of women dealing with hormonal chaos? Yeah. I mean, it's such an important question, right? Like, are we really seeing a new phenomenon or are we just picking it up more? And the answer is actually definitively that over the past three to four decades, there has been a skyrocketing in not just women's hormonal conditions, but as you mentioned, thyroid problems, so autoimmune conditions, Mm. and not just in women. I mean, we're seeing it in our culture in general, right? We know that there's a skyrocketing of chronic metabolic conditions in general, and we also know there's a skyrocketing of what are called atopic conditions, so allergy, asthma, and eczema, 
in children and adults. So it's kind of all a all connected, as I like to say, but it is. I mean, there's definitely a lot of change that's happened in our external and internal environments, you know, whether they that be exposure to environmental endocrine disruptors, external stressors, internal stress and resilience, you know, lower tolerance to resilience, microbiome changes, all these things happen at once and then it becomes the perfect storm. And as women, particularly, you know, we have very uh, frequent cycles that our bodies oscillate through both daily, but also monthly. So and those are are created by our hormones and hormones are exquisitely sensitive to internal and external changes. So we see it so blatantly Mm. in what's going on in women's reproductive health and hormonal and immune health. Yeah. Our hormones are always changing. And it's interesting. I think a lot of women start to notice how frequently they do change, but also the impacts of that when they start not really initially. Like We don't get that education when we're younger about our cycle. Unfortunately, I was not tracking my cycle. I didn't know anything about my cycle when I first got my period. It just wasn't something that was really taught uh, other than, you know, you needed to hide how to hide your tampon, you know, up your sleeve when you were going to the bathroom and junior high many or whatever. Which still do. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. We have to hide it like it's something that doesn't happen every single month for yeah. <laughs> so many of us. Every single woman on yeah. the planet. Pretty right. much. Right. So we... We don't get that education. And a lot of women, it becomes something they think more about only when there is a problem, only when maybe we there's a problem getting pregnant or now I'm having really painful periods or, you know, I'm seeing these fluctuations happen postpartum and I can't get things under control. You know, that's when it really becomes apparent. And I wonder sometimes if it, it is it because you know, that's when we start to experience more and more stress. Um, is that because we want to get pregnant? Like, I'm sure it's it's a lot of different things. Um, also, we have, you know, crazy changing levels of cortisol throughout the day or cortisol changes depending on how much stress we experience. And so I guess my question is, what exactly does it mean to to balance hormones when they are constantly changing and there are so many things, like you said, externally, internally that are impacting it. Like, is it even possible? <laughs> yeah. You know, to your point that um, most women don't sort of sit up and feel that they have to do something more assertive about their hormones until there is a problem like difficulty getting pregnant or mm-hmm. postpartum thyroid problems that are you know, affecting your breast milk production, if somebody even picks that up for you. Um, I think the phenomenon that's happening is that we're all, for the most part, so accustomed to thinking that periods from hell are normal, that it's just par for the course of being a woman that we pop ibuprofen every month or take the pill. So we're aware that our hormones, I mean, you know, we say it to each other. We say it to our girlfriends, like, oh, I'm feeling so hormonal or oh, my periods do any. We mm-hmm. all know what that means and it's real. But we are so used to just sucking it up and tolerating it that it's not until there is actually some debilitating or significant life obstacle that we're like, okay, now I can't just brush this under the rug or this isn't ibuprofen solvable. So, you know, that I think is a big issue for why um, we just 
we just assume it's normal. And so what does it mean to balance hormones? Well, you know, I think balancing hormones is sort of an easy phrase that we use to say my hormones are like hijacking me and completely out of whack and I need to figure out how to get healthy hormone levels. So hormones are fluctuating literally every second of the day, whether that's our thyroid hormone, our cortisol, which, you know, is our, one of our stress response hormones, um, or estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, and then they, and then others, luteinizing hormone, follicle stimulating hormone. We have a lot of them. And so these are fluctuating every second of the day. They're fluctuating every day of our menstrual cycle. They fluctuate in menopause. They're fluctuating all the time. So you're right. Like, Hormone balancing is a misnomer. But what we're really saying is I need to feel better. Mm -hmm. And I think what I need to do is get my hormones to healthy levels that they're supposed to be at any of those given times. And yes, that is possible to do. One of the big premises for me, for my book, Hormone Intelligence, for the work that I do with women is starting out with the bottom line is that you're not broken. And even if something going something is going wonky with your hormones, it's not your fault. So that's like such an important place to start because I think we often think I'm doing something wrong or I'm really broken. And sometimes that wellness industry can feed into the like, if you just ate the exact right diet, if you just mm -hmm. seed cycled, if you just flowed your whole life around your cycle, you'd be feeling great. And it's way more complicated than that. I mean, some of the imbalances that we have hormonally and in our immune system, which affects our hormones, happened before we were even born when we were in our mom's uteruses, you know. So we have to be really compassionate and gentle with ourselves. That's a really important starting place to say, okay, you know, maybe I do have endometriosis and I can't 100% cure it so that I never have it. Maybe I do have PCOS and it's not going to 100% go away to where I never have to think of myself as needing to be more aware of my blood sugar. Maybe I do have like really, really difficult, painful periods and I have more inflammation and that may be something I always need to pay attention to. So keeping it in perspective of like what it means to be well and what it means to have balanced hormones doesn't mean even if you have perfect hormone, like I've been very fortunate. I got onto this path of eating well, 40, like eating well, being aware of my cycle, cycle tracking literally 40 years ago. I'm 55 and I started when I was 15. And it doesn't mean like in menopause, I've never had a hot flash or I've never had a night where like my sleep was interrupted or I've never had a day where I felt like, you know, a little bloated or something like that. For me, it's like very, very, very infrequent. So I've been really fortunate. But even in the best of circumstances, it's like we have human bodies and they go through things. So within that, it's like, how can I feel my personal best? What does that look like? What's realistic? And like, what is optimistic for the things that you can turn around? What I can say is that Nobody should have to have a period from hell all the time or ever. That is resolvable. Nobody should be living with horrible PCOS symptoms or infertility because of PCOS ever. Like these things are things that can be overcome and healed. And sometimes it is with diet and mindset shifts and more exercise or movement less inflammation. Sometimes, you know, in truly integrative medicine, there is all that stuff. And maybe there is the need for a pharmaceutical or 
for endometriosis, maybe there is a need for ablation to, you know, or excision therapy to have some of those implants removed, endometrial implants, so you can feel less pain. So yes, you can rebalance your hormones. And I'm doing air quotes around that, meaning you can get your hormones to be within healthy ranges. You can have cycles that you even maybe look forward to, or at least don't hate and not live in misery and pain because you have a female body. I really appreciate that perspective because I know that so many women are already dealing with enough. And to add guilt and shame on top of that for doing it wrong in quotations, not eating right or not tracking their cycles or, you know, how did I get here? How am I struggling? But my friend isn't. What am I doing wrong? And if you look to the Internet, they will tell you 80 different things that you have done wrong. You know, totally. And, and there's like fault. the medical industrial complex and now there's the wellness industrial complex. Right. And like what's the tr the truth is a little bit of both and somewhere in between. I love that balanced perspective that you have, which is you can do these things. There are root causes and we can work to resolve those. But at the same time, we can also use medicine. We can also use support to get us feeling better and where we want to be. Absolutely. So you know, it's interesting. There's a, a a famous I won't name names. There's a famous internet gynecologist obstetrician who has built her platform on taking down the wellness movement and specific people in the wellness movement. And hmm. you know, not everything she says is is again like as I said. There's like the extreme right and the extreme left of around health now. And she was saying, anytime you hear a doctor talk about root causes, you should run. I was, it was so unfortunate to read that because the term root causes actually goes, it goes way back in history. You know, herbalists have used it, naturopaths have used it, but it also is, and I should say not, but, and it is also part of a very emerging, powerful branch of science looking at what's called exposome medicine. So there's like an entire department at Columbia University looking at exposome medicine. And exposome is exactly what it sounds like, what we're exposed to. And the idea behind these root causes, if you will, which is sort of an easy way of saying exposome medicine, hmm. is that all the things that add up to create our ecosystems, you know, whether that is the fact that you were born by C-section and didn't get breastfeed and maybe had 10 rounds of antibiotics as a kid because you kept getting ear infections and that messed with your microbiome. Or maybe the fact that you grew up in a very challenged household economically or with parents who had mental health problems and you have a really high adverse childhood events score because of trauma. Or maybe because you work um, at a job where you are under constant stress or having harmful environmental exposures. These are all things that do add up. And so I really want to clarify that while root causes can sound very left of center, it actually is a really important term for how we need to start looking at health. And it's the biggest thing that the modern medical model misses. And, you know, I'm saying that as a Yale-trained physician with a Yale internship in internal medicine after medical school that 
often in conventional medicine, you know, we see something like endometriosis and we see if we even diagnose it because a woman with endometriosis in the United States, it takes up to nine years to get a proper diagnosis. And that's astonishing. Up to five years to get a diagnosis as a woman with an autoimmune condition. And in conventional medicine, we're like, oh, you have endometriosis. It's your bad genes, your bad luck or your bad habits. And not looking at all of these constellation of factors. On the other hand, the wellness industrial complex kind of only looks at that stuff and makes these very sort of facile explanations like, oh, well, if you got born by C-section and you, you know, didn't get breastfeed and you had like breastfed and you had like 10 rounds of antibiotics as a kid, just take a probiotic now and that'll (laughs) fix it or eat better. And it's not that simple either, or just think better thoughts and that'll fix it. So I really want to, you know, to say like these things are real and we have to find the answers again in that middle. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, So many symptoms, and I think what's so frustrating for for women in general is that many symptoms of specific hormone imbalances often overlap or there are multiple imbalances happening at once, whether it's sex hormones and your thyroid's off or cortisol is off. So how does a woman know what hormone imbalances are at play when it comes to her own symptoms? So there are two ways that you can do that, and they can be used together. One is that each hormone has its own, I'm going to say her own, I love to anthropomorphize female hormones, has her own signature, her own flavor. So estrogen, for example, when estrogen is elevated above like, you know, optimal levels, we tend to have a lot more breast tenderness. We tend to have heavier periods. We may feel uh, more emotionally up and down Um, when estrogen, and those are just a few symptoms, but conversely, when estrogen is low, we tend to have more vaginal dryness, uh, more sleep disruption. We may skip periods or have very scanty periods. So each one, you know, thyroid hormone has very specific symptoms when thyroid is either overly activated or underly activated, underactivated. So learning the signature, and you can look at checklists, like, you know, in my book, many different people in the wellness hormone space have, um, you know, quizzes that you can look at and just learn what the signature is. And they show up also in different times and ways in our menstrual cycle. As I mentioned, you know, heavier periods or delayed periods. If you're not ovulating, you know, you can look for the signs of ovulation, learn what how to check for ovulation with natural fertility awareness. So, you know, if you're not producing more copious um, vaginal uh, or cervical mucus mid-cycle, if you're not having signs of ovulation, then you're not, if you're not ovulating, you're not going to produce progesterone. So there are things you can do. And then also, you can look at your hormone levels. So you can work with your doctor, your midwife, your nurse practitioner to draw labs for you. And um, there are very set parameters or ranges that our hormones are supposed to be in, depending on where we are in our life cycle, but in our reproductive years, you know, in those years when we start our periods to close to menopause, that like a few years before menopause, there are very specific ranges that are estrogen, testosterone, progesterone, sex hormone binding globulin, TSH, all of that should fall within. So you can either 
kind of, you know, if you're doing DYI healthcare and nothing sort of serious is going on with your symptoms, you can look at some checklists and go, I think it seems to be this. Um, If something more significant is going on, then it's a really good idea just to get some basic labs. And then for thyroid, it's always important to get labs if you think you have a thyroid problem because that can really have an impact on your cognitive function, on your ability to get pregnant, on all kinds of things, your metabolism. Here's a fun fact. Over 75% of women are deficient in magnesium. And if you are deficient, it can cascade into other problems. In fact, women may actually deal with more health issues than men from not getting enough magnesium. This is because magnesium, of course, supports sleep, it helps to manage blood sugar and insulin, and is anti-inflammatory, but it actually fuels healthy mitochondria, which is important for hormone health for women because steroid hormones are made in mitochondria. So it serves an important role in helping to balance hormones and moderate your monthly cycle. The truth is... Most magnesium supplements you'll find in health stores or online or on Amazon use only the cheapest synthetic forms of magnesium. And since they're not full spectrum, they don't have bioavailable forms, they may not actually raise your magnesium levels and you may not see improvements. There are actually seven unique forms of magnesium and it's important to take a compound supplement with multiple forms to experience the calming, health-enhancing effects. This is why I love Magnesium Breakthrough. I've been taking it for years. It is a compound supplement with seven unique forms. I have been taking two every night before bed and it's one of the only nutrients that is an absolute must for me daily. It's made such a difference in my sleep and anxiety at night. For our exclusive offer, go to magbreakthrough.com forward slash wellfed. Our code is wellfed10 to save 10% off. Again, it's magbreakthrough, so M-A-G-B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H.com forward slash wellfed. I purchased my magnesium breakthrough with that link. I buy the bulk option so that each Uh, bottle is just under $30. If for any reason you don't love it, you can get a full refund up to one year after you purchase, which is one of the things I love about Bioptimizers. Again, that's magbreakthrough.com forward slash wellfed. Our code to get 10% off is wellfed10. So this is an interesting question that I hear from people a lot. Um, If your labs come back normal, but you don't feel normal, should you still or like, you know, you you everything checks the box on a checklist of X, Y and Z hormone imbalance, but it doesn't show it on the lab. Is it possible that you still have um, hormone imbalance or should you be treating it as such? Yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, absolutely. Labs can miss things in the sense that, for example, if um if you have a thyroid problem, let's say you have a slow functioning thyroid, you can have a TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone, that according to the conventional lab range falls within normal. So to get a little more granular, a normal TSH according to lab reports is somewhere between close to one, like around 0.8 up to usually about 4.8. But we know for example, for optimal fertility and for optimal pregnancy health, 
a woman should really have a TSH closer to 1.5 or 2 at the most. So you might be struggling to get pregnant and you go to your primary care doctor who's not aware of this problem or you go to your OB-GYN and they're not really aware of optimal. Fertility doctors do know that and they will work with you to get to that optimal range if you're not. They'll usually suggest a thyroid treatment. But for everyone else, they won't. They'll just say, oh, you know, you're not struggling to get pregnant. You know, you're having late periods. You're a little bit depressed. Your hair is a little thinner. You've gained some weight. It's probably just stress. But your TSH could be 4.6. And for you, you know, 4.8 is it's like reaches the cutoff for you. You may actually feel better um, at a little bit of a low, more tightly controlled thyroid range. So this is where some of the controversy comes in around some of these labs. Similarly, um, polycystic ovary syndrome is not necessarily detectable on labs. So if you do have high testosterone and you do have some other lab abnormalities, that can confirm that you do have PCOS. But it can't, if your labs are normal, it doesn't disprove that you have PCOS. So I would say if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. You know, if you're skipping periods and you have hair loss and you have facial hair or hair in other places that you don't want it, you have some depression, you have challenges with your weight. I mean, if it seems like PCOS, even if the labs are normal, it probably is. When it gets that nuanced, I mean, in my book, Hormone Intelligence, I actually cover all of that because I know, you know, even I thought you were going to actually ask me, what if you want to get these labs and your doctor says no? And that's a big problem, too. Women right. are told, well, you don't need anything more than a TSH. We're not going to check your free T3 or your free T4. We're not going to check any of that stuff. You know, where did you read about that? Dr. Google. And, um, you know, that can be a challenge, too. So, uh you know, working with a practitioner who's really skilled and versed in some integrative approaches, or at least thinking more broadly than just the lab tests and looking at who you really are as a person is important. I will say, though, I know I'm sort of sounding like I'm standing in the middle of the road here, and I'm really not. I mean, this is 40 years of experience in the wellness and health space. Um, often, when you go to like an a functional medicine doctor, you will get overdiagnosed. So everything is a thyroid problem. Everything is a hormone problem. And then labs sometimes get ignored. So you do want to be careful there too. Like if all your labs are normal, don't just assume that the lab is missing that. Make sure you dig a little deeper. Just to give you an example, I had a patient who came to me um, in her early 30s she had been treated for thyroid problems for several years by an integrative physician, including being put onto um, thyroid medication. But when I looked back and I looked over several years of her labs, and when I drew a set of labs myself, her thyroid had always been normal, actually. She just had a lot of symptoms, depression, hair loss, fatigue. And what had been missed all along was that she was anemic. And so I treated her anemia and she felt better and she was able to come off the thyroid medication, which she never needed in the first place. So we want to be careful to make sure that we're not just throwing out the baby with the bathwater and saying, oh, conventional medicine is wrong. It's missing my labs. It may be that you need a different set of labs as well. Yes. I was just thinking back to 
you know, I've had great conventional doctors. And at the same time, my husband actually has a, a thyroid issue. And I've watched him just, I mean, be completely brushed off and told that he's a nutcase. And no, I'm not doing your labs again. And no, we don't need to look at your antibodies again. We just need to look at it once and then we're fine. You know, it's just like so interesting to see the difference in practitioners. And absolutely, it's it's not to say that all conventional practitioners are bad or all functional medicine practitioners miss things. It's it's really about the quality of the person, you know, like, well, it's also about like listening to a patient or a person and believing them and going the extra nine yards I don't really even know what that means. I'm not a football person, but I I know there's like, I just like know the expression, go the extra nine yards and, and not just say to somebody, well, it must just be stress. I mean, stress may be a part of it and it may be it, but so many people, I mean, back to the women who have um, autoimmune conditions getting dismissed and, and it happens to men too, like with your husband, it's just that 90% of autoimmune conditions happen in women, 80% right. of women, 90% thyroid is women. Um, and of course, more hormone imbalances in women. So we're more like, and for other political reasons, we are actually more likely to be dismissed due to um, gender biases in medicine. But, you know, and then the other part of it, Noelle, is like, as particularly as women, but also as patients, we are not as humans, we are not taught to advocate for ourselves. And so you don't feel well, you go to the doctor, the doctor tells you you're fine, and you don't need the tests. And then how do you say, but I, I really actually feel like I do when somebody in a white coat is telling you something, and you're, you're in a Johnny with your butt flapping out, you know, because you've just been <laughs> right. examined. There's so much complexity of how to navigate that system to really make sure that we are following it out to the end and make, and and like keep turning over stones until we get the answers. And at the same time, know to be careful that there are practitioners in the wellness space who will offer you every test in the world and tell you you have like detoxification issues and methylation issues and gut issues. And maybe you do but those tests aren't necessarily always valid. So it's really tricky to navigate your own healthcare. And yet we have to learn to do it and or have an advocate who comes with us. So in your practice, when it comes to treating hormone imbalances and conditions like that are can be confusing, like PCOS or endometriosis or even, you know, painful periods, PMS, what what are the universal things that you recommend for all women, specifically when we're talking about kind of addressing root causes? Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing is to really get real about what bandwidth you have to participate in how you approach your healing. I mean, just to give you an example, I had a woman who came to me early in the onset of um, COVID. So maybe we were like three, four months into COVID. And she's in her late 20s. She was having severe acne from PCOS. She was having a horrible time losing weight. And then her dad had a major medical situation. So she had to live near home. But because of COVID, she didn't. And this was before testing was available or anything. It was like when we were all just like, you know, in suspended animation and terror. And so she moved, she moved in to an apartment with four, three other young women at that time. And it was also at the time when like, 
everyone was like, the hell with it. I'm eating the pizza. I'm drinking the alcohol. I can't cope with this. Right. <laughs> right. And so she came to me um, through a mutual colleague and somebody she was working for, who is a colleague of mine. And she said, Dr. Aviva, I really want to do all the root cause stuff. But like right now, I just don't have the bandwidth to cope with changing my diet and like struggling to not eat the pizza and not drink the alcohol when my three other roommates are doing it. My dad is sick and I'm trying to figure out COVID. And I was like, she's just like, I just really want to do the pill. And I was like, that's okay. Like, that's a good choice. Just remember that the pill alone isn't going to get to the metabolic syndrome and all of that, that we still need to try to do these other things. So let's pick a few things that you can really do right now to support you. And she was thrilled with that. Whereas someone else may be like, Dr. Aviva, I want like all the functional tests. I want to figure out like every root, possible root cause. And I might say, you know, you don't probably need all of those things. Let's pick a couple and maybe we can look at your gut and we can mm -hmm. look at your. So it, part of it is figuring out where you're at with it. If you're not somebody who's going to take eight supplements a day and change your diet, it may be that metformin and the pill are a really okay option for you right now. But for me, let's assume that somebody does want to do all the things. Um, I will always start with a core elimination diet for most people. And when I say elimination diet, it's really looking at two things. What are the foods that we know for most women cause underlying inflammation and actually affect hormone balance? Because those two factors are really critical. Underlying inflammation absolutely, we know, makes period pain worse, can worsen endometriosis pain, can affect um, metabolism and lead to some of the blood sugar imbalances that lead to testosterone problems and PCOS, can impact fertility, can worsen menopausal symptoms. So as a universal, at the least, going off of dairy, sugar, gluten, alcohol, processed foods, like those are the big five. And then it's not like I sh say you have to shun those forever and ever. Although I don't, I don't consider processed food food. So I pretty much do say like, kind of just take that out forever. You know, like if your kids trick or treat and they offer you like a mini Snickers bar. Yeah, sure. Like you don't have to be a jerk and say, we don't eat that. I don't eat that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, right. Find balance in your life. But for the most part, like make those the things you take out. Um, and I'm not opposed to dairy or gluten universally for everyone either. But in this case, we do know they're pro-inflammatory for a lot of people. And then the other reason, um, so that was, you know, one reason is the um, inflammation and um, hormone imbalances. Um, it also allows us to look at just what might be somebody's personal individual triggers. And those are more commonly amongst those. So I usually do an elimination diet and I don't actually love the term because it's really about just removing triggers and, and nourishing. Mm -hmm. So then I'm always also saying, what are the things that are missing from this person's diet that we know support hormone health? Like we have to have healthy fats. Cholesterol is the building block of all of our hormones. So we have to have good healthy fats. We have to have enough core nutrients we also know, for example, that women who tend to eat, let's just say at the basic, less fish and less fruits and vegetables have more PC, more endometriosis, more period problems, more fertility problems. So just there at the basics, like how can we add more fish, more good quality protein if you don't eat fish, fish oil or an algae-based fish oil type of product, DHEA, EPA, and getting more fruits and vegetables in the diet. 
The other thing about doing that is it not only provides the nutrients that your body needs and removes the triggers that may be getting in the way of optimal hormone health, but they also, all that same stuff feeds your gut. So you're taking out the things that lead to dysbiosis, leaky gut, inflammation, and you're adding in the things that nourish gut health. And there's a really powerful connection between gut health and inflammation, but also gut health and healthy hormones. So at, that's where I kind of start. And then I usually add in some kind of a self-reflective practice that helps a woman to identify what her biggest stressors are and how can she reduce a couple of those, right? We all have the stressors in our life that are just fact of life. And then we also have the stressors in our life that are self-imposed. And a lot of women have self-imposed stressors. So let's look at which ones we can peel off so that you can start to just breathe a little easier, have a little more space in your life to take care of yourself, add in movement a couple of times a week, add in a meditation, add in just something that makes you happy and brings you pleasure. So some kind of mindful self-care is usually a part of that core of what I do. And then I'll stick with that like kind of core dietary shifts for about six weeks and see how it's going. And then we evaluate from there. The other thing is I will usually do some set of lab tests based on what is going on. So if there's symptoms of a thyroid problem, I'll run a basic thyroid panel like a TSH, free T3, free T4, and thyroid antibodies. If there do seem to be significant cyclic um, symptoms like really long periods or skip periods, I will usually add on a basic hormone panel. So estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, sex hormone binding globulin um, on day three or day 21. I will usually ask a woman to, depending on again where she is in her life cycles and what we're trying to figure out, to print out a cycle tracking um, pa paper. Like don't use an app for this. Use an actual printable pen and paper kind of thing, or you can do it on your computer and track your cycles and see if you're ovulating, when you're ovulating, just become more aware because that can give us a huge amount of information. So those are the basic things. Like me, many of you are in need of a pick-me-up, but if you're working on balancing hormones or you're in a really stressful time or you have been struggling with adrenal fatigue, also known as HPA axis issues, Caffeine, if you're turning to caffeine, it can really stress out your body and make everything worse. Personally for me, and what I've done in the last year, I have replaced caffeine with adaptogens, specifically one called Cordyceps, because it's well known to improve energy and focus and stamina. And it does so without screwing up your cortisol levels. And it can actually help to improve stress by replenishing the adrenals and balancing cortisol levels. And the way that I do that is with a little thing called red juice from Organifi. So while Organifi makes a lot of different adaptogen blends, which I have been using, their red juice is specifically designed for energy support. It helps with focus, and I drink it mid-morning 
sort of when you start to have that slump and you need a little pick-me-up. It's a red berry antioxidant blend. It has a potent blend of adaptogens, including cordyceps, rhodiola, and reishi. It tastes so good. It, like, that's probably one of my favorite things about it is that it tastes really good. So I enjoy having that. I look forward to it midday. I have totally fallen in love with Organifi and all the adaptogen blends that they make. I love adaptogens now. It's been so fun to just experiment with them. Some are great in the morning. Some are great in the evening. All of their superfood blends are 100% certified organic. They contain high-quality ingredients. They're free of fillers, and they taste really good. Uh, And they also have the clinical doses of adaptogens. So they have a variety of drinks. I like, again, red juice or green juice in the morning. I also think you should try their chocolate drink at night. We've been drinking that at night. It kind of tastes like hot cocoa, but it it's just a blend of reishi, which is really relaxing. Support your body, energy, and immunity with Organifi. Organifi takes pride in offering the best tasting superfood products on the market at a price that works out to less than $3 a day. You can experience Organifi's high-quality superfoods without breaking the bank, which is really important to me too. Go to Organifi.com slash WellFed. Our code WellFed will get you 20% off your order. That's a huge discount. Again, it's Organifi, so O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I com forward slash wellfed. Use our code wellfed for 20% off. You mentioned there's a lot of little things that impact women individually. What, just in your practice and in your experience, what are those things or what are some common things that women are often overlooking or aren't considering when it comes to hormones and hormone balance? Probably sleep movement and alcohol well sleep movement alcohol and pooping so (laughs) right sleep is such an important factor in our hormone health thyroid health and cortisol adrenal health even just skipping and even sleeping less than six hours or six hours or less just one night we know disrupts those core hormones so getting less sleep on the regular can be a huge factor. And a lot of that is attributed to stress, worry, and also being on electronic devices too late at night. So sleep is Mm -hmm. a big one. Alcohol disrupts our circadian rhythm. So it affects our sleep and our cortisol. And it also adds, it's pro-estrogenic. So, but not in a good way. So alcohol, interestingly, is the only food if I'm doing air quotes around food here, that has actually been associated as a risk factor for breast cancer and endometrial cancer because it increases our estrogen. But also it's just the worst thing for most women, sleep. So 86ing the alcohol completely or picking one night a week that you're going to have a drink and make it something like you know, vodka or tequila, like a small amount, keep it to that. It's just like a pleasure thing for you. Um but the fact that it can disrupt your circadian rhythm, really, that can be more than a one night thing. So be aware of that. Uh, movement is really important for healthy bowels, for healthy sleep, for um, just feeling good, for healthy metabolism, for blood sugar balance. And that's another one I should throw in is blood sugar balance. That's huge. Um, and that's always part of my initial protocol in that first six weeks is that the meal plans aren't just elimination, but they're very specifically built to help women restore blood sugar balance. And then pooping um, is really important because it, constipation, um, irritable bowel syndrome, all of these can 
really impact. They can be a result of, but they can also really impact our hormone levels. So those are some of the big things. Blood sugar balance, Noelle, I mean, I'm sure you know this from the work that you do too, is so core for cortisol balance, Mm -hmm. for um, inflammation, you know, elevated blood sugar and insulin resistance are risk factors for fertility problems, for pregnancy problems, for PCOS, um, for more difficult menopausal symptoms. So learning to keep that steady blood sugar is really important for all of us. I love those little nuggets. That mm. was, those are nice little nuggets. Okay, so I have a lot of questions from the community. And okay, I let's want, go. I want to make sure that we try to get the, to at least the ones that address We'll do rapid fire. People's. I'll yeah. be fast in my answers. Okay, so this one's from Sarah. And this is actually kind of a broad topic that was asked about qu- like quite a few times. Sarah says, would love to hear your thoughts on endometriosis and gut issues. I've heard that endo and SIBO are often concurrent. And this is just my side note. It seems that like a lot of hormone issues come alongside of gut issues and adrenal issues like we talked about earlier. So is this stuff happening concurrently? And how do you know what to prioritize? Yeah, so endo... And um, gut issues, particularly IBS, and SIBO is simply a form of IBS. It's a sim- or form of dysbiosis. So SIBO, IBS, they're just disruptions in the gut microbiome. And there is a bidirectional uh, uh, relationship in the sense that we know that women who have um, endometriosis are also more likely to have IBS or gut dysbiosis or SIBO. And we also know that having those, because they cause bloating and distension, can worsen the symptoms of IBS. We also, of endometriosis. Endometriosis is also worsened in the case of elevated estrogen. And when we have disruptions in our microbiome, we might not be metabolizing and eliminating our estrogen as well. So that can feed the problem also. At a deeper root level, there is now more research showing that core disruptions in gut when we're younger um, may lead to immunologic changes and hormone changes that are part of what's called the pathogenesis or the actual origin of what may trigger endometriosis in some people. So at the least, if you have endo and you suffer from gut symptoms like bloating, gas, pain, constipation, et cetera, et cetera, um, we do know that doing a FODMAP gentle diet, treating the IBS can really improve your endo symptoms and it may actually reduce some of the underlying core issues that are associated with endo. The important thing is not to get dismissed by a physician. If you have painful periods and you have a lot of intense gas and bloating, and that gas and bloating is also there in between periods or pain in between periods, don't let your doctor just dismiss you and say, oh, you have IBS. Make sure you don't also have endo. So my book, Hormone Intelligence, also my friend Jessica Mernan's book on endometriosis, Know Your Endo, um, both have a lot on gut and endo in them. And if somebody's having... I'm sure you talk about this in your book, but if somebody has a gut issue and a hormone issue... How do you know like where to put your effort and what to prioritize? Yeah, I mean, it, it can be really overwhelming to know where to start. And that's why I always feel like starting with, with what you're eating makes such a difference because what you're eating can affect 
your hormones and your gut. And so it's not like you have to pick, do I start with my hormones? Do I start with my gut? Do I start with my diet? If you start with your diet and make that diet a gut healthy, hormone healthy diet, you're kind of feeding all the birds from one feeder. Mm-hmm. Um, there may be things that you do. Let's say you have really severe acne and really severe um, metabolic syndrome and you have PCOS and you want to take a, a more natural approach, let's say a more integrative approach, you can start to work on your diet that will help heal your gut. You can add in some specific gut healing approaches, let's say, but it may be that you do want to try the metformin or the pill while that stuff is happening, or maybe you don't need to, um, but you're taking the sort of dietary gut approach at the same time and giving it time to see how that affects your hormones. You can also use, you know, there are some, some botanicals, there are some supplements that may help with some of these targeted um, conditions while you're doing the root stuff. And that's, again, not to keep going back to the book. I mean, that's why I wrote it. So it's got the core protocols that everyone can do in the order that I actually do them in my practice and then the targeted approaches. And then I think, you know, really making a mindset shift at the beginning is so important, you know, back to being compassionate with yourself, being patient with the healing process, giving things time. I mean, it can take three to six months to reverse the symptoms of, or a year for more significant, you know, if you have severe endometriosis, you've had PCOS for 10 years, you really give yourself time to make this a lifestyle and work with someone who can support you so that you don't feel like you have to do it all yourself. Like as women, that's one of our things, right? We have Mm -hmm. to do it all ourselves. So finding partners who can help you and guide you so that you don't have to always just be your own doctor because that can feel really overwhelming. Right. Uh, this is from Lindsay. She said, maybe it's addressed in your new book, but which adaptogens, if any, seem to be safe in pregnancy and breastfeeding, specifically things like reishi, cordyceps, or rhodiola? Yeah. So I don't use any adaptogens ever during pregnancy. Um, they're just to me, because of the way adaptogens work, they, in my opinion, are counter intuitive to what the body is trying to do. So I won't go into detail because we're kind of rapid firing here. But so I don't use any adaptogens in pregnancy. And I will say that I am the only person who's written a textbook on botanical medicine for women. And I'm also the botanical um, safety handbook, one of the co-authors specifically. Also, I contribute the safety information on pregnancy. So I'm not just making it up. It's like coming from a lot of seasoned experience and research. Breastfeeding, you can pretty much use any of the adaptogens, but I stay away from the stimulating ones like ginseng, um, uh, eleuthero to some extent. Ginseng is really the big one because you don't really want to be breastfeeding and get your baby overstimulated and have your baby not sleeping. Mm -hmm. But reishi, ashwagandha, holy basil, those are fine while you're breastfeeding. Yeah, I love that. I felt... I think maybe probably from doing research and looking at your research, I never felt comfortable doing anything in, in during pregnancy. And then in breastfeeding, I think it's um, one of those things you also have to know your kid. Like you have to see how your kid is responding. Totally. Which, yeah. Know, if your you kid gets that. a rash or gets irritable yeah. or whatever, yeah. just discontinue. But be, like in a nutshell, like adaptogens reduce our blood sugar, for example, and mm-hmm. they reduce 
and they alter our cortisol and our immune response. But in pregnancy, your body is trying to actually increase your blood sugar, not so much that you get gestational diabetes, but your body wants to increase blood sugar. So you become more insulin resistant in, on purpose so that baby gets more blood sugar through the placenta and umbilical cord. So doing things that alter that to me when we don't have evidence that they're safe doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Okay. This is from Eileen. She says, my doctor recommended DIM to help lower or detox testosterone. Is it safe and how does it work with estrogen? Um, okay. That's her question. We answered the other stuff. Okay. By the way, hi, everybody who's writing it. Um, okay, DIM is typically used to reduce estrogen levels. So I will have to do a little research myself to see why somebody would recommend it to reduce testosterone. So unless they're reducing estrogen to reduce testosterone conversion, but that would usually progesterone doesn't quite make sense to me. So I'm not sure you'd have to ask your doctor why. DIM is used um, to, it's an uh, extract that comes from cruciferous vegetables, broccoli, broccoli sprouts, and DIM and indole-3-carbonyl are often used interchangeably. And they're working to help increase the liver's binding and excretion of estrogen. So it, it doesn't, it's not like it's going to lower your estrogen levels where it's going to put you into menopause or anything like that. It's just if you have elevated estrogen levels, it may be helpful in reducing that to normal levels. So I use it, for example, in if I have a patient who has like really significant um, cyc cyclic breast pain um, due to elevated estrogen or somebody who has endometrial hyperplasia, in addition to the other important things I'm doing, like monitoring with ultrasound, all that, I may add in some DIM for that. Got it. Okay. And, and is DIM is only one way that we detoxify estrogen? Well, there are lots of ways. So estrogen, so in our liver, we have... Um, two phases of detoxification, phase one and phase two. And phase one breaks down hormonal compounds, pharmaceuticals, all kinds of things that we need to break down to eliminate them. So phase one breaks them down. And then in, in between, before they get packaged up in phase two, there are these things called intermediary metabolites, which are actually weirdly a little bit more toxic than the original compound usually. So we want to make sure that we have a robust phase one and a robust phase two. And then we package it up and we send it off into our um, either urinary system or into our uh, intestinal system packaged up with bile. And then we pee or poop out those waste products. So in the phase one and phase two, it requires a huge number of different nutrients of magnesium, um, selenium, uh, zinc. I mean, the list goes proteins. Um, in phase two, we need a lot of compounds that come from things like garlic and all the plant foods so that we need sulfur compounds and all these other compounds. So um, there are many, many ways. And getting enough cruciferous brassicaceae vegetables in your diet, like broccoli, broccoli sprouts, kale, um, cauliflower, all those kind of things, that should do the trick for most people. Mm -hmm. And usually I would only add dim in if one, somebody is intolerant of those, like they have IBS and they need to be kind of like off of those cruciferous vegetables because they make them gassy or bloaty. Um, or if somebody it really is very symptomatic and we just need to kind of like front load a little bit to 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 get those processes supported. Got it. Thank you for that. Uh, so dim has become very popular and everybody always asks questions about it. So 
Yeah, DIM, um, NAC, these are all very popular. And I do, I use them in my practice sometimes. I talk about them in hormone intelligence. And yeah, uh, I think the evidence is scant, but I think in small amounts as they're typically recommended, they're safe and reasonable to try. Okay, this is from Mary. She says, my doctor has me using an estradiol cream for menopause symptoms. Is it safe and is there natural substitutes? First of all, this is a a little bit of a complex question to unpack. So if your doctor is following guidelines of which menopausal symptoms should be treated with estradiol, then that is appropriate. But a lot of doctors are overusing these um, hormones for things that they're not indicated. So make sure that the symptoms that you're being treated for are ones that are indicated for menopause. And that includes hot flashes, vaginal dryness, sometimes sleep disturbance, and um, but they're not meant to be preventatively for cognitive function or heart problems or bone problems. Um, estri- estradiol um, can be taken orally. It can be used transdermally, so on the skin, or it can be used in a vaginal suppository. So then it's um, in that order, um, you have potential risk factors. So the least risk is to use vaginal suppositories, then next up transdermal, and then the highest risk is taking them orally. So if you have vaginal dryness, and that's the most predominant symptom or frequent urinary symptoms, then actually a vaginal suppository is the safest. And then transdermal next, I try to avoid oral if I can. And then um, it depends on whether you have your uterus or not. And if you're just taking estrogen or progesterone or whether you should be taking them together. And then the your personal risk factors, you know, personal history of estrogen receptor positive cancer. And then the last thing, and I think this is incredibly important, is whether your practitioner is just putting you on them and saying, see you in 10 years or never, and just like have at it, or whether your practitioner is saying, let's see how you're doing in a year and whether you still need these and maybe we can lower the dose a little bit. So taking all those factors into consideration, they can be safe. There are some risk factors. Women should not be put on them indefinitely. And that's really important because that's some of where the biggest risk comes in. And women shouldn't, you have to be really careful because, you know, and I am an integrative functional practitioner. So I say this coming from that place, kind of like thyroid hormone, people are kind of thrown onto these drugs. They're told, oh, it's bioidentical. That makes it safer. And I've had many a woman who has contacted me or come into my practice who had uterine bleeding or endometrial hyperplasia. One woman um, consulted with me. She actually developed endometrial cancer and it was a result of being put on high doses of quote unquote bioidentical hormones for an, an an indefinite period of time. So just be thoughtful. It's pharmaceuticals and make sure you know what to look out for. But yeah, I mean, they can be like night and day for people too. I've had people say, oh my God, you know, Aviva, I feel like you saved my life. You saved my vagina. You saved my sex life. You saved my sleep just by using, you know, a small amount of appropriately used hormones. Mm. As for natural approaches, Um, Yes, there are things that we can do. Um, We can add flax seeds to our diet. We know that hot flashes are worsened by stress and by spicy foods and by not sleeping well. There are lots and lots of things we can do for sleep. Um, So there's a whole 
host of things. And you can learn all about those in my book and on my website. Um, but there are quite a few. If your symptoms are severe, though, quite honestly, the hormones really are the they're the way to go to at least get them kind of like moderated a little bit and while you're doing some of the natural stuff. Okay. So this is from Julie. She says, what are your thoughts on doing a progesterone challenge to try to get your period back? Is there a possibility that would it would make things worse? Um, no. So for those who are listening and don't know what this is, if your period goes AWOL for an extended period of time and there's no clear explanation for it or if you think it might be PCOS. And usually I don't do a progesterone challenge until someone's had a period that's gone eight well for many, many months. And usually within three months, I'll never do it. But um, if and, and of course, you want to make sure somebody's not pregnant or there's nothing else going on. Um, but it can be really helpful. You take progesterone in a small dose, usually for a week or 10 days, and it, that will usually bring on a menstrual cycle. The thing is, it doesn't address why your period isn't happening. So if your period keeps not coming, then we you still want to figure out why. It never I've never seen a progesterone challenge make anything worse though. Got it. I mean, progesterone can make you feel moody and weepy, so maybe while you're on the progesterone challenge, you may feel a little irritable or notice your mood changes, but it shouldn't it, that's not a persistent symptom. And then at the end of 10 days if, or 7 days whatever the challenge is, you don't bleed, then of course you want to look at is it PCOS is something else going on. Okay, this one's from Sarah. So any tips you have for her? She, she says it has a long and complicated journey, but she said, I've had gut issues for years, despite endless protocols and thousands of dollars. Oh. I, I do a protocol for SIBO or parasites or whatever, feel better for a few weeks, and then it all comes back. So how do I beat this cycle? I feel like I'm missing something. And the typical approach of testing and then doing antimicrobials or antibiotics just doesn't seem to work for me. I'm very discouraged. She also has uh, PCOS and Hashimoto's, she says. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. It, it just, it just can feel it for you. And the frustration and the disappointment and the why is it working for everybody else but not for me um, kind of thoughts and all of that. So one is that Hashimoto's can affect your gut. PCOS can affect your gut. Hashimoto's can affect your PCOS. It's such a vicious cycle. Sometimes stepping back with a very simplified, less is more approach is really the best thing to do. If you've done the gut testing, you've done all the protocols, then maybe the answer just really does lie. One, in saying, okay, I'm somebody with a sensitive gut and this may be sort of like, my Achilles heel. So what is it that I'm doing when my gut feels better? And what is it that's making my gut worse? If your gut feels crappy all the time, obviously like going with a really simple low FODMAP for like six weeks, it's not a sustainable diet. So you can go to what's called FODMAP gentle, which just takes out a small number of foods, um, but it has been shown to be just as effective, can be helpful. I would say Sometimes when we get into the chase of like more tests, more supplements, more restrictive diets, it doesn't actually emotionally, psychologically, or physically help us. That said, sometimes people can have, one, you can have intractable SIBO, so working with someone around that, but if you've done the antimicrobials, it's probably not it. Another thing is 
you know, make sure that you don't have celiac. Celiac can cause. So celiac and Hashimoto's often go hand in hand. So if I ever have a patient with Hashimoto's, I always check for celiac. Celiac may also increase the risk of having PCOS. So truly getting tested, getting genetic testing and antibodies for celiac can be really important. And then sometimes people have other things going on, um, like gut motility problems that you can have because you're born with it. You just have slower gut motility um, or you've acquired a gut motility problem. Some There's a much higher level of um, history of sexual trauma in women who have IBS, for example. So as much as 50% of women who have sexual trauma will have IBS. So not mm-hmm. saying that, you know, whoever wrote that question and does, but just in general, um, sometimes we need to go back and do work on, a, you know, healing the trauma too, um, not to sound facile. But those are some of the things that I would be doing in my practice is, you know, visualization, meditation, working with a therapist around the gut discomfort and trying to unpack if there is any history of either life trauma or sexual trauma. Um, and then really getting simple with the diet. Don't go on all these crazy diets and don't do a lot of supplements. Just simplify. Mm. Last rapid fire question. Yeah, I'm not being very rapid, am I? (laughs) I'm not giving you rapid fire questions. So that's, that's the true problem. But this, oh gosh, when I wrote my book, I, I submitted, um, my book contract was for 90,000 words and I submitted 350,000 words. It was like an 800 page book. And, and my publisher was like, you just want to tell everyone like all the thorough answers. And I'm like, I do. <laughs> we appreciate those. Um, this is from Marley. She says, what are some causes and solutions for low cortisol? Ah, so one, you can have low functioning adrenals, which is a medical issue that needs to be addressed. So if somebody has true adrenal disease that can produce low cortisol. So in that case, you really want to work with an endocrinologist and you might need to actually supplement cortisol. That's rare, but it can happen. Um, More often than not, what happens is either somebody is just not getting the nourishment they need to actually have the building blocks to produce adequate hormones. So they're really, really underweight and they're not getting the fat they need to produce cortisol and other sex hormones uh, and sex hormones. Cortisol is not a sex hormone. Or, and this is really interesting, in my adrenal thyroid book, I call this um, um, SOS uh, with depletion. And what happens, so survival overdrive syndrome. So when we are under acute stress, we pump out cortisol and adrenaline. And after a couple of hours at the most, that should resolve down to normal levels. But so many of us are either adults who had childhood trauma, which means we were already already pumping out more cortisol all along because our adrenals are just chronically overactivated or and or, you know, it may be both or it may just be the fact modern living causes us so much inflammation and so much chronic stress that our adrenals go into overdrive. So we're producing a lot of cortisol. Now, in your body's infinite wisdom, your body knows that chronic overproduction of cortisol is really damaging. In medicine, we call it the wear and tear hormone it can cause. Mm. 
weight gain around your middle, which then produces more inflammation. It can cause um, increased bone turnover so that you actually have osteopenia or osteoporosis if it goes on for too long. It can cause immune system dysregulation. It can mess with your sleep. It can mess with your sex hormones so that you're not having regular cycles or ovulate. It can shut down your thyroid function a little bit or a lot. So in your body's infinite wisdom, she says, well, I can't just keep letting her overproduce cortisol. So we're going to actually turn the dial down on stimulating the adrenals so that she actually produces less cortisol. So if somebody's been under significant stress over a period of time, then sometimes what happens is the brain says, we need to kind of like turn down the boil and keep this to a very low simmer or just turn off the heat and let things cool down. And that becomes the end result. It is what people erroneously call adrenal fatigue. The adrenals are not actually fatigued. It's that the brain is telling the adrenals to slow down a little bit to protect you from the over impact of cortisol. Dr. Aviva, you did it. You got through it all. You survived. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> you know so much about so much. So I really appreciate you taking the time to answer both my questions and the community questions. Um, and we will link to everything, including your new book, Hormone Intelligence, your website, all of that stuff in the show. Oh, notes. Noelle, and, thank you. I'm delighted to talk with you. And these are great, great questions. Yeah. And all you of have yours and your audiences. So thank you for having me and sharing me with your community and your community with me. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. And you have a podcast as well, correct? I do. It's called Natural MD Radio, although I am contemplating a rebrand and a name change, but you should be able to find it by looking for that. Awesome. Okay, we will link to everything in the show notes, guys. For more from me, you can go to coconutsandkettleballs.com. Thanks so much for being here, guys. We will talk to you next week.